Hello and welcome back everybody to our Bible study series on Romans. Now, let's see here. Last week, we went through just a few verses. That was it. We went through chapter 5, verses 12 to the end of verse 14. Three verses, and that took us half an hour to maybe cover the surface of it. As St. Paul wrote in this bulletproof way. He wrote in such a way that you couldn't raise an objection against it and stay consistent with the rest of Holy Scripture. But today we're going to be looking through chapter 5 verses 15 to the end of verse 21 where we see St. Paul building on those few bulletproof verses in order to set up a heavy contrast between Adam and our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's go ahead and reread verses 12 through 15 of Romans chapter 5 so that we can understand what he's setting up. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So St. Paul here paints a picture of Adam who fell in the garden, and because of his sin, we inherit original sin from our parents, grandparents, etc. over and over and over again, and death thus reigns over humanity. There are only two people in all of history who we know never died, Enoch and Elijah. Sure, that's an exception to the rule, but the exception to the rule demonstrates the validity of the rule. Having said that, though, Having kind of gone back, hearkened back to the first few chapters of Romans where St. Paul preaches the law and shows how we are all bound under sin, then he starts talking about Jesus. So let's go ahead and look at verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, are you confused? (laughs) I know when I first was like really digging into this passage a long time ago, 
I will admit to being absolutely confused. St. Paul seems to be repeating himself over and over and over again through these six verses, like he's trying to make a point. And it's not really obvious what that point is, other than one of these things is not like the other. But we can't forget that in verse 14, St. Paul does say that Adam was a type of the one who was to come. Adam is a type of Christ. And before people go all over the place, going crazy trying to figure out what that means, St. Paul wants to set up a little bit of a contrast. He wants to make sure that we're not going in the wrong direction here with the typology that he just presented. So you drop a truth bomb, you drop the mic, and then before everybody scrambles to take you out of context and say, haha, see, just like Adam, Jesus is spreading sin or some other blasphemous notion, St. Paul wants to get ahead of that. So let's go ahead and reread everything and break it down to really understand what he's getting at so that we don't go the wrong direction here. Again, we interpret scripture with scripture. And thankfully, a lot of the times that means just reading a passage in context, the literary context, what words were said before, what words were said after. So, St. Paul says in verse 15, But the free gift is not like the trespass. What is the free gift? Well, Jesus Christ crucified for you and risen for your justification. The gospel, the grace of God poured out upon you. And what is the trespass? Well, initially, Adam. Of course, this is not to shrink everything down to say, well, Jesus just died for Adam's sin. Heaven forbid. If we were to say that, we would end up like uh, Constantine the Great, who didn't get baptized until his deathbed, because he was so terrified that, well, Jesus died for Adam's sin, and he died for all my sins before I get baptized. If I then get baptized in sin, I'm, I'm a goner. Let's not do that. The free gift, the gospel, is not like the trespass, the fall in Eden. For, because, if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Now, here's where we get a little confused. Because everybody on the planet, every human being, is sold under death. You are going to die. I am going to die. Unless Jesus comes back before the moment of my death, I'm going to die. Because I am a sinner, and though I am saved by grace... In my flesh, I understand, I'm still going to die. My old Adam needs to be finally killed, that last nail put in the coffin, before the completion of my redemption. But, not everybody is saved. This is something we have to ask ourselves. Why is St. Paul saying Jesus' atonement and the forgiveness of our sins, the salvation offered, why is that much more when we understand that not everybody is saved. That's called the crux theologus, I believe, the cross of the theologians. Why isn't everybody saved? Why don't we have universalism? Because we understand St. Paul isn't getting at that. There are too many passages in the Bible that tell us hell exists. It is eternal conscious torment. Too many passages for us to ignore that and hear St. Paul say, oh, but much more, 
And then we can conclude that, oh man, everybody's saved, I guess. But if we can't conclude that universalism is true from these verses, what does he mean? Well, let's go ahead and keep reading because St. Paul here keeps rewording the same sentence or reiterating the same point for us to understand it better. So verse 16, and, and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. So in verse 15, he says the free gift is not like the trespass. The gospel is not like the fall. The gospel does more for us than the fall of mankind did. But in verse 16, he says, the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. What do we mean by that? Well, he explains himself in the verse saying, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So Adam doomed humanity with one sin. But with a single act of righteousness, Jesus undoes all of my sins, all of everybody's sins. Forgiveness is offered to everybody. That is special. That, is, that means something. It means that the act on the cross, the atonement won for us and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ is more potent. It is more powerful than what Adam did. Because, yes, one sin can lead to the death of everybody, but it is one act of righteousness that can cover for all of the sins that compounded and built and added to it. I wouldn't say that the gospel is a life-saving medicine. It's much more than that. It is not like you walk into a hospital with uh, some disease and then the doctor gives you the antidote to whatever poison you have or the medicine that cures the disease you got and then uh, you're okay again. This does more than that. It cures all of your diseases and it ensures that you are in perfect health. Obviously not in a worldly sense but in the sense of our eternal life in Jesus is one for us no matter how many sins we have committed. If we turn to Jesus for our forgiveness, if we turn to him for our salvation, it does not matter how many times I have sinned. And I sin every single stinking day. I don't know about you. Chances are you do. But that is the power of Jesus Christ's atonement for us. It is that powerful for us. And so St. Paul expands on that in verse 17. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. It's very interesting that Adam's eternal life, initially, before the fallen Eden, that was contingent on something. If you screw up, you are going to die. That's it. So, so long as you don't mess this up, you are okay. If you do not sin, you will be fine. But with Jesus, with what he does for us, it's more of a guarantee. It's more of a sure thing that, yes, you did screw up. You are sinning. 
you will sin again so long as you are a human being alive in the mortal coil that you are currently in. You are going to sin. But in spite of that, the actual atonement Jesus won for you is so powerful so as to overcome that, which means, sure, sin causes death, but the free gift of righteousness in Jesus Christ in the abundance of his grace, his overpouring, overpowering grace upon you ensures that, you know, in the long run, that's not going to matter. So St. Paul then continues with a therefore. He says, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Now, all means all. And here we go. Here we go into the objections again that people are going to have to this. They're going to say, hmm, well, pastor, it sounds like um, Adam sinning leads to everybody dying, but Jesus dying leads to everybody living. That sounds to me like everybody's going to go to heaven and live forever. Right? We hear people say this kind of thing all the time, and it is tempting to wish for that to be the case. But we have to avoid that kind of temptation, or else we undo the gospel. We really do. It really is, at that point, something that would harm the gospel, even if it sounds so stinking good, and maybe even better than what we have in the scriptures to some ears. We can't forget that Jesus says, no man comes to the Father except by me. We can't forget Isaiah, the 66th chapter, telling us that, yes, um, the, the worm is never going to die. The rot isn't going to stop. There's going to be burning. We can't forget all the imagery of hell in Revelation. And if we did, if we said everybody is saved, or if we tried to pull a uh, an origin here and say, oh, well, Everybody's going to be saved, but, you know, everybody also might get punished and there might be a merry-go-round of going between hell and heaven. If we say that sort of thing, what we've done is taken out the reason for the church existing in the first place. There is absolutely no point to us being around here. Why did Jesus tell the apostles in the Great Commission and in Mark chapter 16 to Go preach the gospel to everybody if it didn't matter whether or not they had ever heard the gospel in the first place. Remember, this is St. Paul who says your righteousness in Jesus is found through faith in Jesus, through trusting him for your salvation. So now, St. Paul, if he's really doing a universalism here, he is also betraying his own words here. He is saying, well, yes, you need to be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. That is how God declares you righteous and gives the merits of Christ unto you so that you receive Jesus' reward and you live eternally. But by the way, everybody is saved. So it didn't matter whether or not you believed in Jesus. Here we are now. We're looking at this verse and we're asking ourselves, well, if it doesn't mean universalism, if all doesn't mean all in that way, how do we understand this verse? 
One temptation is to say, well, the all here only applies to the elect. One act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men, asterisk, meaning God's chosen people, his elect, the church only. Mm, but there's a problem with that. When you start doing that, you get into the issues of limited atonement. Now, we're called to preach the gospel to every creature. Absolutely every person on planet Earth needs to hear the gospel. If it does not apply to them, why do that? Why? If Jesus did not die for their sins, as the limited atonement theory of the Reformed churches states, why preach the gospel to them at all? Ever. Are you supposed to go, hey pal, listen, I have potentially good news for you. Did you know that Jesus maybe died for your sins, but you'll never know until after the moment of your death when you find out whether or not you were elect? Does that make sense at all? How do you do evangelism? How do you preach the gospel to people when the gospel says Jesus died for our sins? That's what St. Paul says about the gospel. I will never get enough of this passage in 1 Corinthians where St. Paul actually tells us what the gospel is. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 1, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. St. Paul starts here. He starts the gospel. His recollection of the gospel, what he received and what he is passing to the Corinthian church with Christ died for our sins. If we interpret Romans chapter 5 verse 18, the life for all men as being the life for some men, all of the men elected unto life, so to speak, because Jesus only died for them, then we have made St. Paul a liar. Because in 1 Corinthians 15, how would he know? How would he know those people in the church are all elect, that Jesus died for all of their sins? And maybe you can cop to some sort of revelation on God's part, like the Holy Spirit whispered it into his heart that everybody in the Corinthian church was part of the limited atonement and it applied to them. So it, it was okay for Paul to say that. But that's the gospel that was supposed to be preached to everybody, whether or not they were counted among the elect. To make matters even harder for this attempt at translating the uh, verse in a limited atonement context, if we turn to 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 1, St. Peter talks about false teachers. And he says, false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, 
even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Hmm, they are denying the master who bought them, and they are going to suffer destruction. If a limited atonement uh, understanding of the gospel is around, that's not true. Jesus didn't buy the false teachers. And oh yes, the gospel is multiple times in Holy Scripture spoken of as Christ purchasing us with his blood. That is what St. Peter is getting at. And he is saying that these false teachers that Jesus paid for with his blood, that he died for, that he atoned for their sin, deny him and they end up going to hell. So what does St. Paul mean in Romans 5.18, where he says, As one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. First off, Jesus did die for everybody's sin. Everybody. All men. Past, present, future. Everybody who has existed as a human being, he has purchased them with his blood. Thus, it is now a free gift offered to everybody. And in fact, guess what? Everybody is going to live forever. Have you ever wondered, why is it that even though Adam's curse was death, our soul persists? And why is it that at judgment day, those who are damned are going to go into hell to suffer for all eternity? that's because they have eternal life. They don't have the eternal life that St. Paul speaks of where he uses the word eternal more as a quality than a quantity. Uh, the idea being that your life in Christ for all eternity is a good and wonderful thing. No, these people are living forever separate from Christ. They are damned because they reject that free gift. They are denying that Jesus did this for them. So Jesus says, fine, you want nothing to do with me, go ahead. Go be without me then. Go suffer the punishment that you deserve on account of your sins. See, the offer of the gospel, the free offer of the free gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ is an offer. And whenever somebody comes up to you with an offer, you have the ability to say, no, thank you. This is why, over and against what the Reformed say, Lutherans will say, grace is resistible. It is something that people can say no to, unfortunately. But an offer is not an offer if you can't say no. It's just a command. It's a forced thing. And if the Bible calls it an offer, okay, I can offer everybody in the world $500 if I'm just that rich. Is everybody going to take it? No, there's going to be a whole lot of people who don't feel like it, who are going to say, this is too good to be true. What's the catch? I don't believe you. You're going to just, you're going to pay this to me and you're going to expect it back. It's probably a loan, isn't it? I got to pay this off. And no matter how many times I say, dude, just come get your money. People are still going to say no. That's how this works, but it is still going to be applicable for everybody. And we continue reading on here in verse 19. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, 
so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. You might notice here that St. Paul does not say all. With Adam, absolutely, all of us were led down to condemnation, down to death. In that sense of many, that is all. But he does not say all will be made righteous through the obedience of Christ. That's not how this works. And maybe you're listening to me and you're going, why is this dude spending all this time rebuffing universalism and, on the other hand, limited atonement, if St. Paul isn't talking about that? Well, the problem is, yes, St. Paul is not talking about limited atonement or universal salvation in this passage. He is making a point that, well, yes, Adam is a type of Christ, what Jesus does does for us. What he did on that cross is vastly superior and more powerful than what Adam did. It's a beacon of hope, a shining light for us. However, comma, passages like this tend to be used as proof texts for people's pet theological ideas. There's a bad habit among a lot of systematic theologians where they want to find a verse say that that verse automatically means what they want it to mean, and then they go forward from there, they wipe the dust off their hands, they clap it off, all right, I am good to go. I have proven my theology here without ever having read the passage in context. And my goodness, guys like Boltmann were the absolute worst about that. And unfortunately, it's not limited to just liberal theologians like Boltmann. So he says, one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. By the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now he says, made righteous, turned into somebody that is righteous. Now we believe as Protestants that God looks at you in your sin, but he sees your faith in Jesus and imputes Christ's righteousness onto you. From the moment of your baptism on, those who are baptized believers in Jesus are already considered righteous. However, St. Paul is going to be bringing up our sanctification here, where yes, you are counted righteous, but you are also made righteous. God works on your character. And I do believe this is a bit of foreshadowing for what he's going to be getting into in chapter 6 onward. He says, The law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. What does he mean when he says the law came in to increase the trespass? St. Paul is going to explain this more in chapter 7. He has an explanation for what he means by that. It's not so much that the law's purpose was to make you a worse sinner, but our sinful flesh does tend to sin in response to the law. The moment we're told, don't do this, there is a part of us that goes, well, now I want to do it. And if the law says, do this, we say, well, now I don't want to. We end up increasing our trespasses, not the law itself. This fits into what's called the second use of the law. The first use of the law is pretty simple. It's a limit on the amount of evil in the world. It is a threat to prevent the proliferation of even worse sin. But the second use of the law is this 
mirror aspect. You look at the law, you see how you're doing, and you will always find yourself coming up short because the old Adam inside of us well, tells us it wants to sin in spite of what the law says every single time. But St. Paul does say where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that ties into what he's saying in his comparison between Adam and Jesus. He's saying that, yes, in your old Adam, you're going to keep sinning, and sin is going to increase in everything, but sin's increase always leads to the same death sentence that we got from Adam, it's always going to result in the same stinking thing no matter how many times you sin. You're going to die. But Jesus, no matter how many sins we commit, no matter how many sins are added, well, he died for those too. We are still saved. We still have even more grace poured out upon us for every time we sin, go and confess our sins and are forgiven. Now, does that mean, though, that we can just go willy-nilly doing whatever we want? The answer is absolutely not. Hell no. Please don't. Never, ever, ever, ever see this as an excuse to sin willy-nilly. But that's what we're going to get into next week as we run through Romans chapter 6. Amen and amen.